third letter. But uh, for brevity, I'll, I'll talk about it being authored by Paul, because I think he was kind of the main, the main author here. Um, and he's writing to uh, a church in a place called Thessalonica. Um, basically, the story is that he had planted this church, and then he'd been forced away from them after not very long with them. Uh, and he's writing to them to encourage them to keep on in the faith. Um, they're going through a lot of suffering and trials, as we'll see. Uh, and so his me- he gives them a message uh, to, and, and reminds them of truth to encourage them to keep going. And, of course, the message is timeless. It is relevant for us as well today. Um, we, of course, are going through many things. And as Christians, we, we guarantee to go through uh, trials and opposition and suffering of various kinds. Uh, and in today's passage, we'll see just how much Paul cared for them. Uh, and we'll see a message, uh, several truths that he reminds them of to, to keep them going. Uh, so we're going to read the passage for today. Uh, and then we'll pray. The passage for today is, is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, and it spills over into chapter 3, verse 5. So maybe turn there if you have a Bible uh, or electronic version on your phone or, or tablet. Um, we'll have it up behind as well. But it's good to keep it open if you have it there uh, so you can keep checking what we're talking through. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul writes to them, and he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers... For a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know." For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we we look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we remind ourselves that it is, is your word, Lord. And I pray that today you would speak to us, Lord, and by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would use me and, and the words that come from my mouth, Lord, to, to explain what is in your word, Lord, that you would be the one speaking, challenging our hearts, encouraging us, strengthening us. Um, would you please do this, Lord? We, we need you to do it. Um, we thank you for the fact that you are with us and that you do speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. Now, guys, I must admit, when I first saw the passage that had been allocated to me uh, to preach on, I was a little worried that it was a bit, it seemed a bit thin on details, kind of like the the middle version of a trilogy often is in a a film, where a lot happens in the first one, and then they decide to make a trilogy, and so they think of how it'll end, but then there's like a filler space. Uh, And uh, and so I was a little worried, because I mean, basically in the passage we just read, it's kind of like Paul saying, you know, we were with you, and then we were taken away from you. Um, and then we wanted to be with you, but we couldn't come to you, and so we sent Timothy to be with you. And it sounds like, hey, it's not that deep, right? Um, you know, it's not like uh, some of the, the more familiar passages of Scripture uh, where there just seems to be so much juice in it. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, thanks to Honor for the hospital pass and giving me, giving me this one. 
um, you know, at least we won't be here for more than 15 minutes. <laughs> but actually, as, as is often the case with these kinds of passages in Scripture, where, when you do a little digging, you actually see there's a lot in it. Uh, there's a lot of encouragement, and there's stuff that's written for a purpose. It's not just there to fill space. There is a purpose that, that Paul has in writing this. Uh, and I hope that we'll see that. Um, he and his co-authors, they have a purpose, a specific reason why they're reminding the Thessalonians of these things. Um, and we'll see that he was at pains to assure them of how much he cared for them, um, to assure them of the gospel they had believed and how much he wanted to see them. Um, but to understand why he has that purpose, why he's so at pains to share that with them, I think we need to just understand some of the context and the background and the circumstances around which Paul was taken away from them. Um, so actually just looking at the verses just preceding this section, so from verse 13 to the start of 17, if we can have a look at that, we see some of the background. Um, we see, and I won't read it all, but just just notice that we, we see him reminding them of how they did receive the word of God when Paul and the others went and preached there. Um, we see that they became Christians and joined in the suffering for the gospel. But we then see that uh, that the Jews uh, who had killed Jesus also drove them out. So Paul was driven away, uh, and as, as a result, they were torn away um, from the Thessalonian church. Um, this, this gives us the kind of quick summary of the background, but actually if you go to the book of Acts uh, and chapter 17, you see the full detail, the full narrative of what happened in Thessalonica when Paul was there, when he was preaching to them, starting a church, and then the opposition that they encountered and how they were driven out. And it's really helpful to understand that and understanding why is Paul so careful to assure them that he does care for them. Um, so just to, to summarize, uh, and maybe you can read Acts 17 uh, in your own time uh, or afterwards, preferably not, not right now, but, um, but just to, to summarize what happened there, what we see there is we see Paul arriving in Thessalonica, actually after being chased out of Philippi, which is also where a church was planted and the letter to the Philippians comes from. So he was chased out of Philippi. Uh, and then went to Thessalonica and spent three weeks preaching the gospel, uh, going to the synagogues and planting a church. People believed, including, we told, some quite high-profile people. Uh, and as a result, uh, many of the Jews there and the city authorities got quite angry and upset because they were, they were messing around with, with the status quo. Uh, and so what they did is they, they found a rebel, we told. They got a rebel and a mob together, kind of like rent a, rent a crowd to, to cause a, a problem. And, uh, and they set the city in uproar, we told, and they attacked the home of a guy called Jason where Paul was staying. So it got, it got pretty violent. Um, and what happened was that Paul and Silas and them were actually forced to quickly escape at night. So they had to suddenly make a quiet exit at night. Uh, and in doing so, they probably didn't have, you know, a proper goodbye to the church that they just started. Um, and they left this church in the midst of the violent opposition. Um, on their own. You know, th this was their kind of moment of being thrown into the deep end after just uh, three or maybe a little bit more weeks. Uh, you know, we think we're quite, quite young still as a church plant. We, we're nearly two years old at Rooted, um, but we definitely feel quite, quite young as, as a church. But this was, this was a church. I mean, can you imagine sort of three weeks into it, you've, you've just heard the gospel, just started this church, and then your main planter guy escapes at night uh, and leaves you on your own and, we, and as we see, and as we see, it's quite, it's quite hectic actually when you think about it. And, uh, and as we see in, in, in the letter to Thessalonians, that, that opposition, that violence, it seems to have continued. Um, Paul's writing, uh, knowing that they're still going through the stuff that he, that he started, uh, in, in a way. Um, and so I think it's relevant for us, you know, as, as a young church plant, um, 
you know, we're, we're likely to encounter some struggles. We, in some ways, we feel a bit like we're, we're out on our own. Maybe some of us will remember the previous churches we were at. We'll remember where we came to faith first and, you know, the people who poured into our lives. And there are times we might feel like, sure, we're, we're, we're out there on our own and it's, it's getting a bit real and we've got to help other people, but we've got our own issues. Um, and I'm sure Ane maybe sometimes can feel like that as well. Uh, he's not here today, but but if he's listening on on the podcast, um, uh, this is this is also hopefully I think an encouraging passage for him as well. Uh, and what Paul will say would would help would help all of us as we as we uh, we remember where we've come from and and the gospel that that we were given uh, when times get tough. Um, it could also happen that that you know maybe some of you have have been at rooted and maybe you've come to faith in, in our community. Um, but that could change. Uh, you could in some way get uprooted. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, you could move. You could move to, maybe, maybe you move to Cape Town or you move overseas. And that, that can often be a, a challenge when you're taken out of that initial context. Um, uh, something could happen to Rooted. There's no guarantee that we're going to be around for 100 years. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that something could happen and, and we could be forced to no longer exist as, as we currently are. And then it might co- throw us into a bit of doubt and panic about what, what happened there. Was that just a random phase in my life? Is the gospel real? Um, can I continue to trust Jesus? Uh, and that's kind of perhaps where they're at and what's on Paul's heart and that he's wanting to assure them of, of, of the truth of what happened and, and the gospel that they believe. And so we're going to look at uh, five things uh, that that I would highlight in terms of what Paul tells them in this little passage. Five things he gives them, five truths um, that he gives them to encourage them to keep going uh, in the midst of their suffering and now that, that he's no longer with them. And the first thing is that he's going to remind them of their authentic faith. Secondly, he's going to assure them of his care for them. Thirdly, he's go- he reminds them that he told them trials will come, so they shouldn't be too surprised at what's going on. Uh, fourthly, we'll see that he exposes the work of Satan. And fifthly, he reminds them that Christ is coming back. So we'll look at each of those, at those five as we go. So the first one, Paul reminds them of their authentic faith. Okay, now Ono spent a bit of time on this actually two weeks ago. Um, we talked a bit about the doctrine of election, which is basically sort of doctrine just means teaching. Um, and he explained how this is the teaching in the Bible that, you know, God has chosen us and that God saves us from, from start to finish, that, that he causes us. Well, firstly, he provided Christ to die uh, on our, in our place. He calls us and helps us to believe. He helps us persevere all the way through. Um, but as Ane pointed out, that, that is always used, as in, in the case of Thessalonians, as a reassurance. It's always there to reassure people um, that they are truly saved, that, that God is with them, that God will continue uh, to keep them. It's never used as a way to exclude people. It's never about, well, well we, we were chosen and maybe other people are not chosen. Um, it's never the case. From, from our experience, we, we always have to go out and, and extend the gospel because, because God has chosen people from all over and we need to, we need to call, uh, call them and, and reach them. But the point here again is that, uh, as we see just a couple of verses before our passage, Paul reminding them again, um, of how they came to believe. Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 13. I think we have it. Uh, yeah. So, so here uh, Paul says, and, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. 
Um, so this is not the first time that we see Paul reassuring them uh, of, of how they truly did accept God's word and, and became Christian. Um, and I think it's, uh, there's value in this of reminding oneself of one's story. Um, you, you know the idea of sharing your testimony. And it can be an encouragement to others to share your testimony. But I think we should also be doing it to ourselves. Uh, there are times where I find it encouraging when life is getting a bit rough and I'm, I'm not sure where, where it's going. Um, to remind myself of what God did, you know, in those days when I first became a Christian. There was a real change um, in my life. Uh, what happened there was, was not kind of a random phase or something. And not only when you first become a Christian, but there, there are times in your life where, which are worth looking back on and remembering. Um, to, to almost preach to yourself, to remind yourself of the authenticity of what happened, of what God actually did in your lives. Um, I find it useful, and, and some uh, people find it useful to journal, uh, to, to keep a, record, a written record of some of the stuff uh, that God says to you, things that God does. Um, and it's really interesting and useful to look back and read maybe years later and to see uh, what you'd written and what God was doing. It can really remind you in the moment when you maybe those things are not on the front of your mind and you, you may be upset and doubting. It can be very useful to look back and see, see the record of what God has done and how he's been faithful. And we can remind each other, as Paul does here, we should, we should remind each other when someone, if Bayers is going through a tricky time and he's, he's doubting in his faith and he's struggling, it can be good for us to go to him and remind him, Bayers, I know what's happened. I know your story and what God did in your life was real. Um, and to encourage each other in that, that can be an important tool, I think, in, in persevering, um, as Paul does here, to remind ourselves that we, we truly saved, that God has chosen us and that he will continue uh, to do that. Okay, let's look at the second one now, um, which is a big part of, of, of this, this section where Paul assures them how, of how much he cares for them. Um, and of course, I've mentioned why the background makes this relevant. I think as we read between the lines in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is, I think, worried that they may have been disappointed that he'd left them and that he'd maybe sent Timothy but not come in person. And he, he, he knows that they may be doubting whether he's, he's really there for them, whether he really cares. Um, was he just this fly-by-night evangelist who kind of was in and out to make a quick buck or to make a name for himself? Um, and, and Paul is at pains to show them, no, he's not. So one of the things he does in this section, as well as throughout the letter, is he uses a lot of family language. Um, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, he says that we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her children. It's like he just compares himself to their mother. A couple of verses later, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, like a father with his children, uh, we encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So he compares himself to a loving father, um, with, with them. Uh, he uses the word brothers a lot. He does it in this passage here in verse 17. We're torn away from you brothers. It's interesting also to look at that, that word torn away. Um, what's interesting that I read is that the, the Greek word for that torn away is actually the word used to describe a child being, being torn away from their parents. Uh, so an alternative translation could be we were orphaned from you. Um, so again, it's that, fam- that sense of family and almost as a family we were torn apart from you. Um, and it hurt him. It, it meant a lot to him. He, he emphasizes how emotional he is about it. Twice he says, you know, when I could bear it no longer. Uh, and he says, I eagerly desired to see you, did everything I could to be with you. Um, but also he assures them that although he was prevented, he was physically stopped and prevented from going to them, he did something about it. He sent them Timothy, 
um, so that at least there would be somebody there. And he did that at his own expense. He says, we were willing to be alone, to be left in Athens without the support of Timothy so that we could send him to you. So I think he's, he's at, at great pains to assure them uh, just of how much he does care for them. He, he didn't just leave them because he didn't really care. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the third thing let's look at is, uh, is this re- reminder that he had told them that trials would come. Trials will come. Uh, let's look at just uh, verse 4 of chapter 3, uh, where he says this to them. He says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Uh, and it's interesting that Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. Uh, you might remember, and it's in John 15, where he says uh, to them that if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Uh, and we see here Paul saying the same thing to the Thessalonians, where he had told them, if they persecuted me... Just as happened to me, it'll happen to you. And I think it's fair, therefore, to assume also that if it happened to them, it's going to happen to us. We shouldn't think that we're somehow exempt from, from persecution. In fact, I think I sometimes worry that we don't get enough opposition. To be honest, it, it's like oh, we may be compromising in some areas or not, or not standing up for our faith enough. I think sometimes I, I do worry about that for me and, and for much of the Christian church, I think, as well today. Uh, I mean, sure, the nature of the opposition might be a, dif- a bit different as well. It might not be being thrown into prison in every society, but, but there is opposition. We need to, we need to think about, about it and not be surprised when it happens. And, and I'm talking not only opposition. I think what, what they're going through as well is more broadly just trials and tribulations and sufferings that happen in life um, to Christians and non, non-Christians. Um, but we should expect it. I think as a new church plant, we shouldn't be surprised when, when it gets tough. Um, not only from outside, but even just internally, inter- our internal dynamics. I mean, who of you have been here for longer than six months and have had some kind of conflict with each other um, where it's gotten a bit tough and a bit real? You've been offended and hurt. And I, th- I should put a couple of giggles, uh, a couple of hands, like eager to go up. There's a hand. I see that hand. Um, and um, maybe I should turn around and say, you know, who, who, who's been here longer than this? I don't even know if you, you've been here six months. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but who, I mean, I should probably turn around and say, who's been here for six months and has not had a, an issue and a conflict and, and it hasn't gotten hard, just in terms of the way we relate to each other? You guys, we need to come over and, and chat. <laughs> I need to come for lunch because I've got some stuff that will offend you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't invited you for lunch yet, and you haven't invited me, so that's kind of a conflict. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, but, okay, so for those of you who are visiting today or have just joined us, please just ignore all that. Um, we, we, we are definitely the, that, that perfect church that you've been looking for. Um, don't worry. <laughs> that, um, yeah. But uh, it, it is real. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're getting off lightly, to be honest, compared to what the Thessalonians were going through. Um, but we shouldn't be surprised when it gets tough. It's going to get tough, and we shouldn't be surprised. Paul warned us that it was going to get tough. And even that, uh, just being warned, being forewarned, I think is part of Paul's doing it on purpose because it, it can help us. If it comes as a surprise, it's kind of like, hang on, you didn't tell me this, but we can know it's going to come, and that should help us, therefore, to stand firm when it does come. Okay. Let's look at the fourth thing um, that Paul tells them. And this is an interesting one. He, he exposes the work of Satan. Now, uh, we don't, uh, we're not like a very charismatic church here, so we don't talk about this a lot. Um, 
But it comes up twice, actually, in, in this passage. Um, you probably noticed the first one in verse 18. I'll, I'll bring up the two verses here in the passage we looked at. Pretty short passage, but it comes up twice. Verse 18 names him. It says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Satan actually stopped Paul from going to the Thessalonians. Interesting. And then the second one, we might, might have missed it. Uh, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And, and Satan is referred to in the Bible as a tempter. There's no, there's no one else who could be this tempter. Um, it, is, it is also Satan. Uh, and so we see two things here, two ways in which Satan is at work. He, he can be at work in actual circumstances to prevent Paul, for example, from going to Thessalonica. But also when the trials are getting real, he's there to tempt and to tempt us away from our faith, that, our fa- that their faith would have, would have been given in and they would have, that Paul's efforts would have been in vain because they would have given up the faith. Um, now, for me, this raises a couple of questions, this, this activity of Satan here, uh, some tricky questions that I, I, I grappled with a bit. Uh, the first question is, uh, you know, if, if Satan succeeded in stopping Paul from going to Thessalonica, is there a real um, chance, a real threat that Satan's going to win some battles? Uh, and what does that say about God's sovereignty and his power? Is it kind of this equal, this equal fight and sometimes Satan's going to win? Um, well, I think to help us answer that, it's worth looking at the consequences of this activity of Satan, but throughout the Bible of, of, of when Satan does stuff, how does that link up with what God is doing um, in his sovereignty? Um, and it's interesting to remember that Paul is in Thessalonica after being chased out of Philippi. So he was chased out of Th- Philippi, ended up planting a church in Thessalonica, gets chased out of Thessalonica, ends up going to Berea and to Athens and preaching the gospel there. All right, so the gospel is actually spreading almost because of being chased away and chased all over. And if you read through the book of Acts, the point is made over and over that the disciples in the early church were persecuted. They met with opposition, and as they were persecuted, they were scattered. And as they were scattered around Asia and Europe, uh, they planted churches, and the gospel multiplied and was spread. So somehow, in Satan's activity in opposition to the gospel, it's actually God's plan being, being executed. Somehow God is fully in control, um, and he's spread, spreading his church. And I, and I, th- I always think for me that the, the kind of classic central example of, of how Satan works but God works is in the crucifixion. If we think of the crucifixion of Christ, uh, we know that the Bible tells us Satan entered Judas and he went and betrayed Jesus. Uh, so Satan's behind that. But we also know from many verses in Isaiah, for example, that it was God's will that Jesus should suffer. God had planned this centuries before. Um, we're told that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Um, so somehow, in Satan's kind of greatest success, where he orchestrates the murder of Jesus, it's actually God's greatest victory and Satan's ultimate defeat. In that moment, that's where death and sin is defeated. Um, and so when we go through trials, we should, be, we should not be unaware that maybe Satan is involved. There, there is opposition. It's real. It's not, it's not just a fairy tale. But we shouldn't be fearful that God is no longer in control. He is fully in control and he's sovereign. Uh, and that should give us a lot of comfort as it should for the Thessalonians. All right. Um, it's interesting also that he uh, not only stopped them from coming to th- stop Paul sort of physically from going to Thessalonica, uh, but when the trials are going on, he's tempting 
uh, he's tempting people to no longer believe. He's tempting people to give up on their faith. Um, and Paul is kind of worried about that. He says, for fear, I sent to you, I wanted to find out about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter may have done this. But just beforehand, Paul had assured them like, that we know, brothers, that you are chosen by God because of what happened. When you, when you accepted the gospel, you accepted it not just as, as words, but with power and conviction from the Holy Spirit. So Paul has already assured them that we know you were truly saved. And now he's like, well, but I'm worried that maybe all our labor would have been in vain. Um, and so again, has Paul sort of forgotten about that teaching of, of election in a way, that God is in control? Um, and, and I don't think he has. I don't think he actually is being contradictory, but there is a, a mystery here. Um, th- there's a mystery in that uh, while, while God is, is, is fully in control, uh, in our experience, we have a responsibility to, uh, to firstly to choose to accept Christ, to secondly to keep persevering, to fight for our faith, to resist the temptations to give up on our faith. Uh, the Bible always calls us to do that. So our experience and our responsibility is to do that. But looking back on it, we'll, we'll know that we only did that ever because God did it, if you, if you know what I mean. So it's a bit of a tension there, but, uh, but I think the application for us is, uh, is, is clear that we need to do, in a sense, two things. Um, we need to do, number one, trust and be assured that God has chosen us, that he will bring us to completion. We can't trust in our own abilities to carry on believing. We need to be reassured by that, but at the same time, we need to actively fight to hold on to our faith uh, and keep believing. All right. Um, there's another question uh, that, I, that I think this raises um, as, as we see, you know, Satan's activity here is, is, does this mean Satan's behind every bad thing that happens? Uh, and if so, how do we know? How do we know? Is this, is, is this happening because Satan's doing it? Or is God maybe bringing this trial into my life? Or is it just life happening as it happens with no explanation really always? Um, and I think this passage does show us that sometimes, doesn't sort of say that this is always how it'll be, but sometimes Satan is at work in, in things. Uh, it shows us uh, that he, when things happen, he's there to tempt as well and to use it for his ends. Um, but also in the Bible, especially the book of James would be a good place to look at, uh, we see that God is also at work in those trials. And the things we're going through, God's at work to produce his ends in us. Um, he's there to produce character and perseverance in us. James even says we should consider it joy when sufferings come our way. And uh, a useful way of explaining this, uh, you know, what Satan is doing in the hard times and what God is doing is uh, I once heard, like, was this, it was someone else was preaching, and, and they framed it this way. They said that Satan uses trials to disprove and destroy our faith, but God uses trials to prove and improve our faith. And I found that always quite, quite a useful thing to remember. I'll say it again. Uh, Satan uses trials to disprove and to destroy our faith. But God uses trials to prove and to improve our faith. Uh, and it's important to hold on to that when, when the going gets tough. Okay. I also think uh, just looking at, you know, as Paul is exposing the work of, of Satan here, I think it's, it's important for us to just not be naive um, about the opposition that, that's coming, uh, and pretend it doesn't exist, um, and to think about maybe are there ways in which Satan is still at work to stop us meeting together? So if, if, if he was stopping Paul from going to the Thessalonians to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith, um, how does he stop us from meeting each other to encourage each other in our faith? I imagine he's still trying to do the same thing. Um, and 
again, you know, one, always, one doesn't always know and see exactly when and where Satan's at work. We won't always discern that. Sometimes people may have a sense of discernment, and we, we shouldn't rule that out. But, but just be aware that in, in many of the, the obstacles, um, maybe, it's being, maybe it's good things, and, or maybe, maybe it's being busy, or family commitments, or all sorts of things that are they in some way, can they in some way be used to actually stop us meeting together um, and to stop us encouraging each other in the faith? It's just something for us, for us to think about and not be completely unaware of. Um, but, and, and, and maybe lastly, while we're talking about, about the work of, of Satan here, I think there's sort of two sides of the horse one can fall off. Uh, you can either be, think it's just a fairy tale, like Satan doesn't exist, and that, that would be problematic. But at the same time, I think one can be too much like looking behind every door, under every stone, uh, is the Satan, is that Satan, or over-interpreting things that happen and saying, I think this is happening to you because of, of, of Satan's doing this necessarily. And I think we don't always know, but, but we should just be aware um, that it's a reality. Okay. The fifth thing um, that, that, that Paul reminds him of is that Christ is coming back. This, is a, this should be a tremendous encouragement. It's a big theme in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, actually, it's mentioned, this, this idea of Christ coming back is mentioned in every chapter, all of the five chapters it comes up. Um, and partly it's a big theme because they had a specific question about it. So the Thessalonians were kind of first-generation Christians, and this was actually one of the first letters that was written uh, in the New Testament. Um, so they, they were living at a time where Jesus hadn't been around that long ago. Um, they, he would have lived in their lifetime. He, he would have left and promised to return, and so the early Christians were waiting for him to come back, as he had said he would. But now time was starting to pass, and some people were starting to die, and so they were starting to ask the question, well, what, what's going to happen to these guys? Because they've died, but Christ hasn't yet returned. Um, and so it was a big theme, partly for that reason, um, but partly also because it should always be a big motivation for us in how we live. Um, I, think, uh, I think if we're preaching to a lot of elderly folk, this wouldn't be such a hard sell. But I think as young people, and, uh, and uh, we're all young here, so as young people, it sometimes feels that death is far away. Or that if Christ comes again, it's probably going to be in the fourth millennium or something like that. Okay, um, it, it doesn't. It's, it's hard for us to to wake up and uh, and get motivated by that reality. I find we we have shorter time frames um, in terms of what drives us, but it's clearly something that drives Paul a lot uh, over here. Have a look at, at verse nineteen and twenty again from chapter two that we read. Um, Paul says to them, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So Paul's talking about his hope here, the, the crown, the reward that's in store for him. And, and he's, what does he say it is? He actually says it's them. It's them. It's the, it's the Christians in Thessalonica. That church, those people are his eternal investment as such. Um, now, that's also an interesting one, one to, to think about because, you know, Paul, just like any of us, are only ever going to get into heaven on the basis of grace, right? We're not going to get there because we've told lots of people about Christ. We're going to get there because he died for us and washed away our sin and will welcome us in on the basis purely of grace. 
Um, but there also does seem to be in this passage and elsewhere in the Bible some sense of kind of reward, some sense that what we do now counts, that we, we invest in treasures that are going to last forever. We can invest in treasures that are going to last forever if we choose to. And sensing here that he regards the church, God's people, as that investment. Uh, and so I want to spend a bit of time as we, uh, not quite close, but start to move in that direction, um, uh, thinking about, uh, do we have the same mindset as Paul? You know, of, of course, Paul was the kind of main planter of the church at Thessalonica, but I don't think it just applies to, like, if you're a missionary or if you're the, the pastor of a church, that your your flock are kind of your, your treasure for, that you'll kind of boast about in heaven. I think it's, it's for all of us. We all have opportunities in each other's lives uh, to help each other, to encourage each other to keep believing, to grow in Christ. Uh, and we should regard that and each other as a, as a treasure, as almost like our most treasured possession, the thing that will last for eternity, the work that's going to last for eternity. Um, so, so let me ask a couple of, of diagnostic questions to see whether that is really our treasure, whether each other and, and serving each other and helping each other in our faith is really our treasure. Um, think about this. What, what made you happy this last week? Um, what made you angry this week? Or what made you fearful this week? And, and I don't know about you, but for me, if, if, if you think about those things, it, it's, often, it's often secondary things. It's not actually this, this primary treasure that, that really should be our treasure. There, there may be other things that, that we care about more. Um, often things just around self. I, I tend to get overwhelmed by what's going on in my life, um, my fears, my issues, um, what's going to happen, etc. Um, but, but I think it's not just that there's other things we value more. I think sometimes they get in the way as well, and they actually obstruct what should be our primary treasure, which is investing in each other uh, and, and in each other's walk with Christ. Um, if you think about what causes conflicts, we've, we've all agreed that it gets real sometimes. We have these conflicts. But, but what, what causes some of the conflicts? Um, that we have? And is it sometimes those things, those other agendas uh, that we perhaps value more or get more upset about? Um, uh, what threatens to divide us sometimes? Uh, and is this vision of our glory and our crown when Christ comes again, is this, is this going to help us to overcome those divisions and to strive hard for unity? Um, and so these are questions we're thinking through. Um, but I want, to, I want to encourage us, as Paul did, to, to go the extra mile, to, to not, to not uh, sort of just not have conflict, but to actually try really hard to serve each other. And sometimes we are prevented. Sometimes we can't always see each other. We can't always be at church every Sunday. Sometimes things come up. Uh, sometimes someone's struggling and we can't be there ourselves, but we could send a Timothy. Um, so I could say to Mohale, Mohale, please, can you try and link up with Dichaba? I can't see him, but I know he's going through a rough time after losing his hair. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was actually really embarrassing. Like, I introduced myself to him before church, and, like, and then I realized that it was actually did up. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I did. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, the, the point is that we can, we, we, we can help each other look out for each other. And some of you guys are doing that really well already, by the way. I, uh, it is encouraging to see. Um, how 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 you're looking out for each other? Um, it's, it's it's actually very very cool to see. So keep doing it. I think I think like with the Thessalonians, I think Paul's message to them often is 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 it's really a word of encouragement because uh, he's reminding them of how they're doing well and he's encouraging them to do so more and more. 
um, that phrase as well comes up like more and more. I encourage you to do so more and more. Uh, so let's, uh, let, let's follow Paul's example of really caring for each other, of, of treasuring each other, of understanding that that's an internal investment, um, um, of having a, a heartfelt uh, care for each other and each other's faith. Um, we are a family. Uh, as, I, as I close now, you know, we, we are a family. We're told that, that that's what Christ has done is, is, and God is doing is he's building a family for himself, a people from, from all over the world, from, from all cultures and uh, nations and times and generations. Um, we're part of that family. Um, some of us are going through the tough times currently. Um, you know what they are. Um, and uh, when that happens, let's not be too surprised, but let's be there for each other. Let's encourage each other. Um, put in that, that, that extra, extra effort that, that we see Paul's example doing. Um, let's be assured that, that God is doing something real in us. Like he, he started something real in, in our lives, and he's going to keep us in him. Um, and let's remember that, that all this is, is for an eternal investment as, as, we, as we help each other and serve each other uh, in, in this way. Okay, so let's pray, um, and the band can come up. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you know exactly what we need to hear, Lord, that just as Paul knew what the Thessalonians needed to hear to encourage them in, in their sufferings and their trials, Lord, you know what we need to hear. Um, and so I pray, Lord, that, that we'd continue to reflect upon these truths, Lord, as, as we're reminded of what you've done in us um, as you've given us tools to equip us to hold on to our faith, that you would help us, Lord. Uh, would you protect us from every, every attack against us? Would you protect us from conflicts and from uh, trials and, and the temptation to give up, Lord? Um, would you help us to grow in you? Would you encourage us this morning? May we leave encouraged uh, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.